Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. Mara Carabello is back with us this week. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing us back to a PG rating. We'd like to apologize <laughs> that Jim is unleashed lately and says all kinds of naughty yeah, he's words. He's been a bit of a swear bear, but now I've got... I'm being uh, I, this. You know, you two would gang up on me all the time. I hope we're all going to play nice. Are we going to be? Nice I gang up on no one. I'm just here to facilitate facilitate discussion. See, Jim would always. You would always have to be a you know conscientious objector to Jim. But yeah. then, but Mara, you two so team reasonable. up all the time. Yeah, so I end up reasonable. being out here by myself. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes fun to have a little girl power around. That's well, right. there's lots to talk about as usual. We're still waiting for a quiet week to happen. But exciting news coming out today about Utah finally getting in the mix of the presidential elections. For so long, I think states like Utah have been ignored, passed over. We're not a primary state. We don't matter. And now all of a sudden we get one of the debates. It's not the presidential debate, but we'll take second place with the vice presidential debate next fall. Uh, Mara, is this a big deal for the state of Utah to finally be in the spotlight? It's a big deal. And, you know, we should keep going for things like this, regardless of your party. I think uh, this is a really time to highlight this this part of America, not just Utah, but this Intermountain West part that is so often just flown over. I mean, we, we you know we are, we are fly by state, so this is a really big deal. And and I appreciate that the state uh, came in and supported that. That's right. And Greg, you said you were part of that support, but the interesting thing is, is my understanding historically is that we have been offered a debate in the past, and then because of our own guidelines here, where. Uh, oftentimes they'll have like a beer garden or other things going on that Utah wouldn't pony up to what the national standards or offerings were. Is that true that we've had an offer in the past and we were like, no go? Yeah, actually, even in the 2016 race, Mm -hmm. we had a scheduled presidential debate. It was going to be covered. It was going to be a big deal. Uh, The the last debate had been in Miami. The one was coming here. And then uh, campaigns pulled out because I guess those debates were starting to sound repetitive and so they, they didn't want to have it. It was later in the primary season. Yeah. I think one of the differences, uh, when I was in the legislature, we uh, wanted to have a, pre- a presidential primary that would be earlier in the calendar year than our state primary. And so that put us kind of in the game as well uh, for to be able to host a, a, a debate like this. And then we've, we've been, uh, we have a very good uh, commission that looks to organize and put debates, not just on the, the top of the ticket, like a presidential election, but also down ticket. Uh, and we've had, uh, it's a bipartisan effort, and we've also, as a state, invested into that so that we have these uh, well-publicized and televised uh, debates with candidates so that issues are actually discussed and uh, that that debate can occur. And so I think with those two things, making sure we have a, an important stru- infrastructure for good planning of debates as well as moving up in the primary season for a presidential uh, primary are the things that allowed for uh, Utah to have it. And look, we've always had a lot of excitement. Uh, People love attending those uh, debates, and I think we'll have a packed house, whatever the venue may be, and I I think it's the University of Utah, and then I'm sure it will be watched very closely, and it should be. And I hope that it helps with voter engagement, voter turnout, because Utah traditionally does not have a great voter turnout, and I think 
sometimes it feels like we don't matter. And I think that when you bring a debate here, we'll feel more like we matter. The inner mountain West will matter. And it won't be oftentimes where you're looking towards the 13 original colonies and what they think, <laughs> you know, because right. it's very outdated in the system. So I'm hoping that we hip it up and have a good time. So exciting stuff there. Uh, while we're at it, this is just on the debate stage. Tulsi Gabbard uh, went online a couple of days ago and said that she might uh, boycott the next debate, October 15th. She got in by the skin of her teeth into the last debate, and I really want to see her on stage, but she's saying maybe I'm not going to be there because this is sort of, it's just not what debates are supposed to be. CNN's controlling the message. They're making this into a game show type atmosphere. Do you agree with her that maybe national media are trying to decide who's in, who's out? Do you agree sure. with her, or is it just dumb to sit out and go take your voice when you can uh, get look, it? Look, I, I don't know why this doesn't get more attention, but the Democrats have been gaming up this entire debate and primary season from day one. We had Donna Brazil, who was a, a contributor and a commentator who used to be a you know, a, a campaign manager and part of the Democrat National Committee in the past. Uh, she was uh, funneling the questions. Uh, it's not even a debate uh, or a question that she was doing it uh, when she was when Hillary Clinton was debating Bernie Sanders. Uh, those questions were being uh, shared with uh, Hillary Clinton. They've changed the rules. What, Gab what Gabby is saying here is that how they are laying out the, the format and how it is working. You don't want to change the rules after the game has started. But for some reason, and I think it is because they're trying to winnow down a very large field into yeah. a, to viable candidates, which I like her and I, you know, she's one that I think would actually do incredibly well. Uh, and, and I think that, but I think that what they're doing is they're changing the rules as the game's going on. She's noticing that. She's on that, on the margins there. And I think that the decisions they're making are meant to jettison those that are on the margins. And so I think she's frustrated. And I think, I, I don't know why this has been the case, but I think particularly in that, in, in that season with the Democrats, they have wanted to have a more orderly and a more structured process and aren't afraid to change those rules or do whatever they have to do to see the, the outcome happen. I think the Republicans, in these crowded fields in 16, you saw how that rolled out. And again, like we said earlier in the show, it started to get so raucous that they decided not to have any more. Yeah. But they weren't doing that. I think she's got a valid issue. Too many voices. I don't think you can deny the fact that the DNC really favored Hillary Clinton last time around and they put all their efforts into her. But now she's saying that it's not just the DNC and others. We obviously have to look at polls and donors, but is that the right way to go about who should be on the stage for these, or is there a better way? No, I mean, she's got a, she's got a fair beef here, I think, here. Uh, I think what the party has to balance, so some of what we forget about nominating a process is it's, it is a political party process, right? It belongs to the political parties, and they are not the right instrument in some ways. So one of the questions is, it's a big question, and the parties will go crazy about it, but should the parties be stewarding this the whole time? Uh, should there be a role for other institutions. Now, institutions have hosted debates before, but it's a party-driven system. Um, yeah. And so what happens to an American, an unaffiliated American particularly, who says, I want to I want to engage? What happened to these fringe candidates who can't ever get ahead because they can't ever get yeah. ahead? Because absolutely, this closed-party system, it it really favors those who have been around and those who have built their systems and and those who have done time. Now, the ones who, would, who, who are favored are also going to say, exactly, I've been building this. I have been a part of the system. I have helped the system grow. Now, make no mistake, the RNC and the DNC operate the same way. So it's really unfair mm -hmm. in many aspects. I mean, they don't operate, they don't have the same procedures, but they have the same goal in mind. So, they so, have a so, the, so the paint yep. one party is sort of 
you know, very above and the other. No, these are political entities controlled by politicians. These are these are political like, is the key word. These are just yeah. crabs dragging each other down into the barrel there. And I do think she has a right to say, as do many of those. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna double back on myself and say we can't watch a debate stage with 18 people though. It's too hard to track. You don't yeah. see those. And where I'm always going to hold us as viewers accountable is our shortening attention span. Right? This is what you yeah. deal with every day. How do I educate at the level I want, but also make it engaging enough that people don't turn the channel? And and I think that's real. And I think uh, when people sort of are very external about their criticism, I want to remind us that they're composing television that we will watch. So if we want span, something yeah. different, then we should really own up to the fact that we'll pay more attention. Yeah, Americans at home want sexy sound bites, and that's what they exactly. get. Oftentimes they're goaded into that. But really, you need substantiative conversation, and sometimes you need fewer people on the stage to do it. That's right. I want the cake and I want to be able to eat it too. That's right. We'll have to yes, figure out right. how to make it all work. Okay, uh, I'm not going to start with you because this is a story that's about you. But Greg Hughes um, got out and he did some, I don't know if you want to call it rallying or protesting, but he was outside yeah. of uh, Ben McAdam's office uh, this week and there was different sides out there. Did you watch any of this? Was it effective? Did you hear his, did you hear his arguments? Yeah, I, so I know you, what she's going to say. You can go in a minute, Greg. Okay, it was all right. unbelievably effective for the three or four times as many defenders of McAdams <laughs> and the Democrats who showed up for this small band <laughs> of protesters that were so cute and so yeah. sweet trying yeah. to sort of, you know, go at him. Yeah. So, I, I mean, what I'll say... Uh, impeachment, absolutely having the conversation of this president's actions, uh, absolutely that's a fair discussion to have. Uh, I thought the rally was sweet. I thought, you oh, know, it was please. a good go at things. I hear and that I, sarcasm. And You're not I, hiding it very well. <laughs> I Call. thought it was amazing that uh, Representative McAdams was able to rally so many people um, against that, that ban. Just but tell me when it's my turn. Impeachment. I mean, I don't know if we're going to speak to the rally, but impeachment absolutely right now is a discussion that warrants a lot of thoughtful consideration. It follows the authority and the lines that the Constitution is enumerated for the House of mm -hmm. Representatives, and it's very appropriate. And we should say that Ben McAdams at this point, uh, Congressman, has said that he's going to listen to arguments from both sides. He's not going to speak out until he understands that. And as someone who will be a jurist of sorts listening to this um, in the House, I think it's fair that he does that. And if you want to look on the political side, he probably is best served if you'd like to be reelected to toe that line very carefully. You were out there, and um, Mara said it was very sweet. <laughs> But a picture of you in the Salt Lake Tribune does not make you look sweet. No, it you makes look you look like, like a I have rabies. Yes, it looks like I have rabies. It looks like I need to be put down and buried under a tree somewhere. Uh, no, that was that that picture was not. Were you screaming uh, like a crazy person? No, I was not. I was not. But I will say this: uh, I don't know that Republicans are very good at protesting. We're not. A, we're not a protesting group. I I felt very. Uh, um, we didn't have chance. We didn't have really good ones. Our, our chants certainly didn't rhyme. I had, you know, I had a bullhorn. I've never held a bullhorn or spoke into a bullhorn in my life. Did till it that feel thing. powerful? No, nah, you know what? I was, it was, <laughs> I've had them pointed at me. I've had them pointed at me, but I've never spoken into one. I, uh, so they would start, they'd say things like, um, we want the truth. And I'd say, what are they saying? They'd say, that we want truth. Yeah, we want the truth too. So let's say that one. And so we'd say, we want the truth. And I was kind of copying it. You Another were? chance, yeah. So, was, mm. And we weren't dressed appropriately too. I was in a suit and it's kind of cold out. The, the other so people, they no were, they were all, on. no, they were, no, <laughs> See, now we just ruined this whole okay. segment for our Sorry. TV show now. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the weather was probably lent itself to the kind of warm clothing that the other side had. We had people that coming off of a lunch break or whatever. And then, 
Yeah, so, so it was. We were. I was. I'm not saying it, but I'm not, what I'm saying is, uh, you said that I didn't. Um, what I what I am saying though is that we are we are definitely not a protesting class. We were not very. Uh, Republicans as, as, generally do not. We're not as good at it. I would just come clean. We weren't as good at it. Uh, but you know what? I think that the message and this is what. What's your point? Yeah, this is a point. It actually wasn't covered very well in the. I'm sorry. Other than these images of me. You know, looking like I was crazed when I wasn't. I have so here's plenty of pictures of so me being your, normal. Us. What were you tell trying us. to tell us? So, at any given time in the United States of America, we have 50 state house of representatives or assemblies. So, you have 50 presiding officers of a legislative body, of which I had the honor of serving as one for four years. I will tell you that states have a process for impeachment with the executive branch, just like our federal government does. What is happening today? Uh, in this national impeachment process is not a process. And what I mean by that is there are only three legitimate, and by legitimate I mean uh, impeach, people have filed resolutions to impeach a president, and it's been every single president since 1980 has had these resolutions, and they have not been given the weight or the serious consideration of a, of a true impeachment process. If you look at the real ones, Andrew Johnson and the 1860s, and then you have President Nixon, who never was actually he left impeached before the vote, he left, right. but that process was still the same. And then you have President Clinton. In every sing in those three occasions, and it's only happened three times in our country's history, it was initiated by a, a vote of the House of Representatives. And that means that every member of the House, irrespective of party affiliation or whether they were in power with the majority or not, participated in that process and began the inquiry. That is not happening in this case. And why is that significant? Because of this. In those three cases I just, I just described, the, the broad powers of impeachment that Congress has gives, it gives a subpoena power to even the minority party, not just the, those that are in power. If we want to get to the bottom of what happened and we think something happened with President Trump that we want to see if articles of impeachment should be drafted, if it should be voted on, I don't understand how we can have that kind of process and we certainly have not done it this way in our state house of representatives where you are not getting the full participation of all the house members the speaker of the house nancy pelosi is not the speaker of the democrats in charge she is the speaker of the whole house this requires a vote of the whole house to begin the the, the impeachment inquiry and it is troubling to me. So is this gamesmanship you believe? Yeah, I, I don't think this would hold up to that kind of scrutiny, and that is why it's being narrowly uh, orchestrated by just a few people. I, it has to. Why does Ben McAdam say I need to know the information? He's not included in this process. He isn't part of this that's happening right now. You need a full body of that of, the, of that house to begin this process, and then that would allow all those members of that respective committee, those in a majority and minority, to begin to issue subpoenas to get to the bottom of the issue at hand. You don't have that right now, and that that cheapens this process. And at the end of the day, even if the house can make any rule at once, whether you, even if you can doesn't mean you should. They should be following the process that happened in President Clinton's case, President Nixon's case, and President Johnson's case. So it should be the same. Let's talk tomorrow about that. They're on a two-week break right now. Should they have taken a vote before they left, started the ball rolling? And the president in the White House right now, they're denying some of these subpoenas, saying we're not going to give information. Is the White House right in saying, let's start the process, once the vote's in, then we'll talk, or no? You know, I mean, this is such a different uh, environment in which... We'll 
we're dealing with a president who's acting so differently than any other president the United States has. And his ability and mantle that he carries and what he thinks the rules of the game are so markedly different. I, I am going to agree with Greg in that if they cannot open this up and build consensus, it's not the environment. I am not a fan that says my team's right and that team's wrong and, and the rules switch with the members of the team. Yeah. So one of the things I think, though, that is happening that is gamesmanship is there's still plenty of time to do the process. And I think w w the rhetoric, the rhetoric that the Republicans are shaping up is the the if the process is already messed up as it is, and we it, because it was faulty at the beginning or because it was pressured at the beginning, there's no merit to it. What I would say is there's strong case for support that there's merit. There is strong case that this should be reviewed. If they cannot open it up and act with decorum as as precedent, not the rule. I mean, the rule right. of law allows them to. That's but right. if precedent, I agree with Greg that if it has merit, it should open up more. Um, I do think that the White House is unduly obstructing it, and they're pretending no. that they're victimized here. And I don't believe that White Houses and presidents of the United States are victimized. And I do think there's an incredible case for support that he has substantiated. And I think the, that many cases of these uh, Democrats is not gamesmanship. It's a moral imperative that they're feeling. So I think we have to honor the fact that people are feeling very strongly about the actions of this. But I agree that the process needs to open up and normalize, but it has plenty of room to. We act as though we are voting on impeachment, and we're not. I do think it's absolutely fair to question what's going on directly with the President of the United States and a foreign government. And I feel like that is serious enough and warranted enough and merited enough that yeah. it deserves the impeachment discussion, discussion. and process. It would be nice if we could start it, though. Sometimes as we're, it starts to feel more gamesmanship when you're coming up on an election, and it will matter for both sides if we can make the decision, start the process, and both sides honestly look at it, make a decision, and then give voters a chance to figure out how they want to proceed. Yeah, and, and here's, here's the point I want to make, because it's not process for process sake or precedent for precedent sake. If these allegations have, have validity, they should be able to stand the scrutiny and the, the more broad uh, investig investigative uh, authority of, the, of the Congress in terms of who would be able to call sub uh, you know, issue subpoenas. The president is not issuing answering subpoenas that are not being done under this broad power because that broad power hasn't been triggered yet. They, they are citing the oversight authority of these respective committees to do it. But they're, they're calling it impeachment by a different but name. But duly, he should be able to stand up to but, the process as well. I, and if there isn't, I'm, I'm if there's you, no but, wrongdoing, it will you be can't. discovered. They're, they're creating rules where, where their department, their cabinet members or people that they want to subpoena can't have an attorney with them. The FBI, the guy Peter Strzok, who they got those, those text messages from, had an attorney sitting right next to him. They won't let him, them ha have attorneys with them. I'm telling you that if you broaden this out to the House of Representatives, whether they're in power or not, and these allegations are valid, and it can stand that scrutiny. And I cannot say that the president has, I would tell you, the president has no right to deny a subpoena under a, an appropriate impeachment process. But under what we're seeing right now, it is a very narrow focus, and only one side is getting to further their narrative or their case or their inquiry. That is not to the standard and shouldn't be to the standard of an impeachment process. And so it, it really goes to whether this has merit or not. I will tell you that until they are willing to let all sides look at this and, and ask for witnesses and, and get testimony. If they're unwilling to do that, the majority in the House, 
then they, they're insecure in that position that they're saying about Trump if they're not willing to bring everybody in and let that process work as the only three valid or I will say there are leaders on this issue that I have appreciated, and I do think Senator Romney and I do think Representative McAdams have staked out positions in which they are pro-process and they are pro sort of getting to beyond the rhetoric and to the facts. And I, I am pleased that in a state that doesn't have many in terms of volume of representatives, we're showing ourselves to be people who will not be just sheep along into their partisan lines. Let's talk about Senator Romney for a minute because I think largely Utah's delegation has been somewhat quiet. Ben McAdams, because he's our lone Democrat, has been forced to, out with his statement that he's going to wait and see. Uh, Representative Chris Stewart uh, definitely seems he is all supporting the president right now. And then Senator Mitt Romney, really the only other one speaking out. And uh, the president is paying attention when he speaks because they have been in a nasty Twitter spat. Uh, the president wanting to impeach Senator Romney, which I don't think technically you could do under the Constitution, but that was one of his Twitter rants. So right now, Senator Romney, when he originally, when President Trump was running, he spoke out very forcefully about him when he ran uh, as senator again. He said that he would you know, use his moral compass and he goes in there. Let's start with you on this, Greg. Uh, do you support Mitt Romney and his stands right now? Because I think that a lot of people are hoping and looking to him in the Senate that he will help other Republicans possibly, if warranted, move towards impeachment. Yeah, it sounds like he made up his mind to me. And if I'm listening to Senator uh, Congressman McAdams, he's not uh, speaking so stridently uh, because he'd like to see the information and make a decision. So his, you're supporting his, a Democrat over a Republican? I'm saying wow. that let's look at the comments here. Are let's you look disappointed in Representative Stewart for also having made up his no, mind? No, I think he... Wait, so, uh, no. so to be clear, it's okay if a Republican has made up their mind, <laughs> it's good, but it's not okay if a Democrat so perhaps has I made think, up their mind. I think that minds. Congressman Stewart oh, is on the intelligence committee. Oh, but now you've got to Romney a Democrat. Ooh. Listen, well, I, I, I believe on that. the intelligence <laughs> committee. Sorry, Senator. Yeah. Uh, the, our congressman is privy to information uh, that we are not. I think that he is part of a. So are the Democratic Congress people that sit the in the Senate Judiciary yet. Committee. I, I think no, that I'm talking the, about House members. So just to be clear, it's okay for Chris Stewart. I think he has but more But it's not okay for House members on the Judiciary Committee to have an opinion? A predetermined opinion no, on this? We're talking about Romney, right? Uh, right, but, but you also were saying, I, I, leaving Romney aside, you're yeah. saying it's not okay to have a predetermined opinion. No, I said that it was. it was. It was disappointing if the if the senator is saying that he is talking impeachment without that coming to him and being a fair arbiter and I don't think there's enough information to our last topic about what information's out there but Congressman Stewart and the committee he sits on, he's certainly privy to more information than we, the public, are or even the senators are. And so I don't think it's the same. I don't think you can compare it. But I will say this. We um, I think that if you read the transcript of what was in that call, the, his underlying premise that uh, Senator Romney says is that we shouldn't be okay with a president or anyone targeting a political opponent. And I would concur with that. That underlying premise is not one that I think you're going to find many people disagreeing with. The question becomes whether the, conver the, this, the phone call to this president of U Ukraine, uh, whether it amounts to that very right. charge. And I've read the transcript. I don't believe that's what I'm reading. I've seen... The, the foreign policy back and forth with senators and other presidents and the discussions that occur that we've kind of scrutinized more today because of this topic. And I see that far greater. If you were to decide that this amounts to bullying for political outcomes, you can find much more egregious uh, 
examples of that, then you're finding in that phone call. That phone call, Lindsey Graham has said, if, if this impeachment or articles of impeachment is based on that uh, that phone call, and that's a transcript you can read. So it's like watching a football game and having someone tell you about it. If you've watched it and you've seen it, you don't need someone to tell you about it. He's already said, if that is the basis, uh, it will have the effect of ripping this country apart because they're parsing words or they're trying to find uh, things that might not be in there. They will use their broad subpoena powers to bring in everyone. And honestly, I, the Democrats really have to ask how thorough of that kind of process in the Senate they want to go through, because I don't think they'll stand up to that, pro that uh, kind of scrutiny. I think it's, a, it's sad. I, I said this in the rally, uh, our, our great rally. Um, <laughs> as a lawmaker and as a legislator, I know what the work of the people looks like. I know what it means to find common ground. I know what it means to do hard things and tackle hard policy. We're not seeing any of that. I, I want more work on behalf of the people in terms of policy. And if there's a president and his conduct you don't like, there's an election that is less than a year away. It is certainly fodder for that. But why would you spend any time trying to unseat this president, especially in a process we've described, which is so insular and one-sided? Why would you do that? Or why would we even have to spend time debating it instead of getting the work of the people done or at least trying? I, I just would love to see a Congress who works like the respective state legislatures we have in this country where there is hard work to be done and there's ways to do it. And I don't see it. And it, it, it is a frustrating thing for me to, to watch. So is Congress um, trying to hold the president accountable or do you think, like some people say, they're just trying to get rid of him because they didn't like the vote since the day oh, he was brought I mean, I, is there any doubt? I mean, they've been talking impeachment since the night he won his election. I mean, there's, this is the, I mean, does anyone think that, I mean, I've do I need to raise my hand during this part? I every gonna, issue. I, I, I've is never there heard. Anyone? I, I don't Greg, think we've lived a day of this man's presence where impeachment wasn't to question wasn't this person's uttered. judgment. I hear you. I hear everything you're saying. I actually agree that they're squirreling a little bit, like squirrel on impeachment. We we don't have a long-term budget. I absolutely agree with the gridlock. I agree that I wish they could walk and chew gum, and what I worry <laughs> about in impeachment is they can only chew gum, and I don't think this is worthy of it. But absolutely there is merit to question the tactics of this president, and absolutely this is the timeline to do it in. I do agree, though, that we don't have the ability to, to focus on two things, and that is worrying. It is worrying to me that we're going to get deeper and deeper into the minutia about how we're seeing the play calling. The end of the day, impeachment is a judgment call, though. I mean, right? That's it why is. it is There's written no, that it's way. No, that's why it, it and is. It, 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 it is an that. act of that. And so it's in the vein of that, and, and, and I object to assuming that it's not merit-based. But I will say, I, what you and I absolutely agree on is, is this highest and best use of 99% of our elected officials' time? I don't. And until America starts to be able to get a little more complexity in their politics and allow it to be a little more policy-driven, um, I think one thing that Greg and I have, have repeatedly agreed on is that policy has a lot of gray. Politics has very little. And so right now, unfortunately, the House of Representatives is spending a lot of time on the politic. Unwinding, because you did a really nice job pivoting, but I want to go back to Senator <laughs> Romney for a second and just give him a shout-out to say he has stopped, I think, short of having an opinion. And he's in a rare space in America in which he's untethered politically the way most elected officials are tethered. He's not and worried about a re-election. He's not worried about a re-elect. He's not sort of worried about all the other components and I will say one of the things that I was concerned about is that he wouldn't 
get in and exercise any interesting independence there. And, and I hope this is the start of that. I hope it's not all directed at partisanship, as, as I think you feel it is, but I hope it broadens itself out. But I do want to encourage him to keep being untethered. I, I'd love to see him untethered on some policy issues as well. I would have loved that untethered way in the 2012 election uh, when he was running against Amen, President, brother. President Obama. I think, I think I, if a lot I could just see have. the vim and vigor I'm seeing now it, it, with candidate Romney in 12, there were some things that needed to be called out then. It's hard for me to watch this, uh, as you've described it, Mara, internally, where infighting somehow is now a formula for success, and we're going to start ahead of before a Senate even sees articles of impeachment, we're going to start casting these uh, conclusions. But, man, would I have loved to have seen this, this fight or this kind of uh, sternness right. and ready to draw lines. Uh, when when we needed a, a Republican president, in my opinion, we needed a strong candidate at that time. I think there was amp, there was fertile ground for that, and we didn't see it. But okay. we see it now, and that confuses me. Would you take him if I'm only saying if I'm not saying this would happen? But let's say that a vote comes to the Senate. I think this is very unlikely, and um, not only is he impeached, but he's found guilty of the jury in the Senate. The president can't run again. Would you support Mitt Romney if he decided to run his stead? Although yesterday, well, I should note, he said he's not running for national office. So it, this is what I love. I lo I'm glad you brought this up because the Democrats and their political pundits, they go beyond just the impeachment of Donald Trump. They are straight-faced because what would happen is if he was removed, which it takes 66 members of the Senate, which I don't think. President that would there's a vice president, but do you know what the answer to that is? Oh, we're going after him, too. We're ready for impeachment on Pence as well. That's that's the next one. We're going to do that one well because we got to get down to. Greg Nancy knows this because he listens to so much liberal media. I'm telling you, it's out there. I mean, it's public record. These in. are these are straight faced political uh, arguments and and observations being made that we won't have Pence because we're going to go after him next, and then we'll get down to Pelosi, which is which I think it's why I have a jaundiced eye about this impeachment. I've heard impeachment since day one. Um, and so I just think that it has been reverse engineered in terms of the concept of taking someone like this president and having him impeached. It's been asked in a rhetorical way maybe every day of this man's presidency if he should be impeached or not, or there's been discussion of it. They're not even they're not done when they talk right. about uh, Trump. They're down to Pence. And so, yeah, if you saw that where you saw the vice president who would then be the president, there could be a, a chance for uh, our senator to, to run then. But Again, it's 2019 and we're in a cycle where it's so close to a presidential election. Just have it out. Let the people decide as they did b before and make all, the, make all this uh, available for the people's consideration nationally. It is super exhausting. I was thinking that when you're done with the Mueller probe, I'd be like, we can move on Take to get rid of this multi-trillion oh, no. dollar debt. But no. All right, we're going to talk about something locally here for a minute because I know we're running out of time. But Utah has been looking at a case that's national and across the lines in several states where um, a former LDS missionary and someone who works in Arizona County government was bringing women from the Marshall Islands where he served his mission. I hate to bring church into this, but it's part of it, where he served his mission and is bringing these women into Utah, to Arkansas, to Arizona, and charging money for these adoptions. He's being charged and not found guilty at this point of human trafficking these women where he'd pay them to come here. And yes, they were getting paid for their services, but they'd have their babies at LDS hospital. The babies would be sold to other families. I know that money is exchanged in adoptions. It's not an easy thing. Um, and there's probably some gray lines on this. Mara, are there concerns here after this case where in Utah we need to make more regulations? Can you not regulate it? But selling humans is a serious thing. Right. So I'm going to stick to this case because there's a lot of variances and nuances to this. But one of the things that strikes me is I think at moments like this, it's really easy to say, 
we need to regulate more. We need to legislate more. And I think uh, that for me is not maybe what broke down. He, vi or if he did, uh, there were several outlined and prescribed laws that he did break or, or potentially broke. And so the issue wasn't... Uh, were there laws in place in many instances? So what I what I he see, went around them. He did, but one of the reasons he did, and this is a really sensitive thing to say, is I think we have to ask ourselves about the social contracts we have with each other, and how often we see people perhaps doing things that doesn't that they don't seem right. Uh, adoption's really hard. My family has experienced adoption, and when you how you when you want that so much, and it, and you're doing it for such mm -hmm. good reasons, and I think we should be clear. Um, I'm for opening up adoption, particularly when it comes to children who are in the system. We're talking about a, a, a section of adoption which is unborn, you know, and so I think we should be specific mm -hmm. to that. We're talking about women who are carrying children, and so you followed their pregnancies in many cases, and, and these families for two and three years have been doing this. In my mind, it wasn't that there was not enough laws on the books. It's that... We accepted his behavior probably through some other social cues. Yeah. And we decided who was right and wrong, maybe against what our gut was telling us. And, it, and, and these are social contracts that say if it doesn't feel right, if those people don't feel like they're following the rules, we're going to have to start holding ourselves accountable a little more. I want to be a little Western about this, in which mm -hmm. I don't want to use the reflex to just say, oh, something happened, let's legislate. Let's talk a little more openly about these issues and maybe not accept... Uh, the judgment of someone, whether it's for the better or for the worse, let's maybe challenge people's actions a little more. Maybe let's scrutinize behavior, yeah. even if it's something we really want, like a child we've been looking for for years. Maybe if we look and say, well, it's a little weird that I'm just giving him some cash. Or maybe that's, a, and I'm not speaking to the specific incidences yeah. of this, but I feel like what happened is there were rules that he knowingly and pretty sophisticatedly went around. So my, my, my reflex is not to make more rules, but to say more you know, when are we taking advantage of? When are yeah. we allowing others around us to break the rules? Maybe for some really good reasons. And how are we judging who's a good person and who's a bad person? I say in the very colloquial sense of the word. And emotions certainly can get involved in this. And we don't know a lot about him right now. We've actually had people write into our station who said, I felt like everything was on the up and up. I have relationships right. with these families in the Marshall Islands. Ours was open. So maybe this started out innocently enough where he was really helping people because I think most of the time things start like that and then it went downhill. We don't know yet or not. Do we need to change anything or do we just need the systems that worked this time work again? Because I think it was sure. hospital employees who probably alerted him or thinking, this is a little strange. We have right. a lot of women that are coming and going and we don't know them. And they're leaving their babies. Yeah. And, and I, I look. Everyone has is presumed innocent till proven guilty. And I and that's in this case as well. Some of the information though that's coming out in the, as we read about this, uh, and questions I have are these: Who's paying for those uh, those deliveries? Are those being paid out of pocket, or is that assumed that the social safety net we have here is paying for those deliveries? I I don't know the answer to that. But if it certainly gets even worse if there are yeah. uh, where where those deliveries are occurring and there's. Uh, adoptions occurring, but no one's paying for the actual health care costs of the, of the, of the baby uh, being delivered. And so I, I, it, it, it does, by its description, sound like human trafficking. I mean, I read an account where the locks were on the outside of the residence to, to In lock Buffalo, the people yeah. inside. And um, I, look, and again, the, so I, I think that you have to, I don't know if it requires new laws, but I do think it, it requires us to be as Mara said, we have to be as sensitive of the issues around us. We have to be looking at those things. I think that how this came to light is how it should come to light if you see something that's odd yeah. or something that's out of the ordinary. 
let's talk about adoption for a second, though. So, in a, and I've never shared this uh, before, but in that window of time in my life, and my wife, and our family's life, when that that terrible hurricane devastated Haiti, we were seeing the the human tragedy of that, and people and children that had frankly been orphaned. And I asked my wife, would we ever consider adopting a child that was without a home and didn't have anyone? And we actually concluded that we would. So we looked into it just briefly. And but what we found by inquiring is that there was an incredible cost. Thirty thousand, forty thousand, yeah. but not not even to to the people to the children that we saw that might be in need or didn't have a home, but for children that were in, in certain systems in certain states that had uh, health uh, challenges and and had certain uh, it just we couldn't get as as interested a family in seeing a need or seeing children that looked like they were in need we could not find that legal course or that way to even be in a position to be able to adopt a child that might be uh, needing a family. And and I, I just found that astounding because you watch that and I know there was a lot of, you know, charitable efforts around that yeah. uh, that tragedy. And here we were wanting to do our part, but we just could not find that avenue. And so... Right. And there's so always good actors that, and bad actors so no matter that, where you go. Yeah, doesn't that almost... that So where people are breaking the law or trying to fill that need, if you have a system that just isn't... Yeah. Allowing the interest to meet the, the the children that may need that, that's where you might yeah. find people acting in this way. And the systems. I'm matter. not excusing yeah. it. I'm saying, yeah. but it may beg it because you don't have the. the and right and, way and I'll go a step farther and perhaps be a little left of center here with you. But part of I think the systemic problem with uh, op having an open adoption system and having an encouraging adoption system with so many kids in need in the United States and the world is frankly the determination of who qualifies as a family and what qualifies as love and who deserves to have a child in their life. And I think approaching families in a narrow way and approaching families in a traditional way is often the consequence, the unintended mm -hmm. perhaps consequence, mm -hmm. of having a system that makes it far too cumbersome for these kids to land in safe places. It is true. But hopefully the systems we have in place work. I know 20 years ago probably about there was a baby I was reporting on. I lived in Montana. And there was a baby, they named her Grace, that was found in a garbage can. And I remember my heart wanting to adopt that baby. And I actually went and asked if I could take her home. I was reporting on it. I'm like, I want to save this baby. But as hard as it was at the time, even though I was trying to have children and hadn't yet, they said, that's not the way the system works. Are you signed up with the right. state? Are you a yeah. foster care right. parent? Have you been through these rules? Yeah. There's all these other parents that have followed the rules, and that's who will get that baby. And it makes sense, and I think sometimes you have to ask those hard questions. So lots of gray area on this, because mm -hmm. sometimes I think about there might be women in the Marshall Islands, too, who know they're in a bad situation, can't take care of their baby, and they're willing uh, to be paid sort of like a surrogate to give up their baby. But right. are they being held against their will with locks on the houses? And do the parents on the other end know it? Yeah. It's worthy of continuing the discussion yeah. at the legislature and not have this just be a story. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And actually find a way to solve the problem. Well, there's so many other problems we'd like to solve <laughs> this week, and yet we are out of time. So thank you so much for being here. Mara will be back with us because uh, Jim's just flitting around the world I'm these about. days. So thank you for being with us. Subscribe as always, and have a great weekend.